this is X-rated. The X-rated crew is in full effect. <laughs> I'm Ryan Weed. He speaks for himself only. Welcome to 2018, fair listener. Oh, God, did it feel like we'd ever make it? As a podcast or as a human? <laughs> Just humanity making it this far. Well, you got to remember, we're recording this slightly before New Year's, so we don't know if we've made it this far. Yeah, yeah. if you're listening in a post-apocalyptic hellscape, different from the one we're recording this in, then... Um, one that still has podcasts. Congratulations. I mean... I think I have mentioned it before. We wouldn't have much role in a post-apocalyptic landscape. Like, oh, God, no. You know, you could be traveling bard. Yeah. And I would be a radiation canary. I was also thinking, of, uh, you know, I, I would probably follow along the lines of um, Patton Oswalt's uh, Mad Max thing. Strapped where- to the front of a yeah. vehicle, ass first. Yeah, I'm just the, I'm just the hole for... Everyone to take advantage of. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, you're resigning yourself to this, but you're still smiling. So, <laughs> I mean, it can't be that bad. <laughs> you're like making the best of a bad situation. <laughs> Speaking of post-apocalyptic hellscapes, have you ever experienced that person in front of you in line at the U scan who doesn't know how to use it? Oh. <laughs> My God. It's just, it's on my way here tonight. I was buying one thing and there were four U-Scan stations and two of them were being used up by these two people who I don't think they've even ever used a computer before. (laughs) Ballpark. What were their ages? 20s. No. Not kidding. 20s to 30s. Both of them. Both women. I don't know if that's important, but um, sexist. They. I swear. I watched. I counted the other side. They were both on the same side of the this kiosk, whatever. And then on the other side, I counted each one of the other two stations. One had four people go through it. One had five or six, if you count myself, before they were done. You know things are bad when you're counting the people go through you scans. It was amazing how long they were taking. I was at the same area of the same QFC a couple weeks ago and it was right before recording this Mm -hmm. and I was like oh I got like 15 minutes like I can stop get whatever I need and I'm stuck there's only like two people ahead of me all four of those kiosks were like being utilized by people who like were helpless (laughs) one person like couldn't find their like organic corn another person was buying booze uh, another person was like buying Sudafed, which like requires like not only like Ugh. ID, but like th- you need to be escorted over to like unlock it. Like you know, if he- they were buying a gun, he just would have got it with his cash back. But <laughs> uh, Sudafed requires like an escorted personnel over to the cabinets. Yeah. So it's like all four kiosks were being taken, and there was someone at the Coin Star machine. Oh, come on. Who, like, was also, like, uh, this was, like, this took too much money from me. I know there was more dimes in here than this. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, like, four people at the kiosk just holding everything up. Like, I was in line for ten minutes with n- with all four of those people just remaining in their same spot. Jesus. Yeah. It's, like, it's supposed to speed things up, but if you aren't 
certified in U-Scan technology. It just slows <laughs> everything down. I have figured out, though, where how you can, uh, if I was still under 21, how to cheat those machines. Oh. Because for the most part, you have to, like, scan a thing to get, like, the, the age verification screen up. Right, yeah. But... Okay. And you can type in the birth dates. Oh my god! Yeah, I because uh, like one day like the person was like looking for their little scanny thing and couldn't find it and just like put their finger there. <laughs> We're living in a golden age of underage <laughs> drinking here. Well, growing up, I personally like I never drank before I was twenty one because it was harder to get alcohol than it was to get weed. Yeah. Oh yeah. Same here. Like I could get weed from any derelict off the street but like i couldn't get booze from anyone yeah i mean i was lucky to have some lucky in quotes uh to have some friends who had parents who were cool parents and Mm -hmm. would like buy us alcohol but um yeah finding weed was not an issue no i mean it was shitty weed it was shitty colorado 90s weed but (laughs) still did the job Anyway, just I guess it's a PSA that if you don't fucking know how to use the U-Scan. Oh, yeah. Is that what we're... Yeah. If you have a child with you, one of these women had a child, and so she was constantly taking care of that. It's like, just go... Have an abortion. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just flush it out, (laughs) ma'am. And failing that... (laughs) Adoption is an option. (laughs) The abortion doesn't take. <laughs> Just ringing in 2018. Wow. Ding, 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 ding. I've had two coffees today. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. <laughs> I'm so... I always feel like New Year's Day is like a fresh uh, blanket of snow. You know, like untrampled through. Like you never know what's what's on the horizon. You just gotta muck through it or pee on it or something to fuck it up how do you feel about that time between christmas and new year's i love it do you oh yeah i think it's a great week it always seems like such a weird space yeah i like i think it's fun because then you're like one celebration down one more to go and then you've got the desert that is january february march see I, i feel like it's the last like 20 minutes in ai when you're like, oh, the movie's over, and then there's <laughs> like 15, 20 minutes left, and you're like, I guess I'm still sitting down. <laughs> it's like, it's a real week. Like, we all have to work, and we all have to like do our regular, you know, life routines. Yeah. But it's between arguably two of like the biggest national celebrations that our country has. It's like if Thanksgiving and the 4th of July were like at either ends of a weekend. <laughs> God, can we do that? That sounds great. Uh, we can't change the date that America was born. What if we changed voting day to 4th of July? It'd be was, easy to remember. Was I not talking to you about this? Wait, is that your idea? I, I wanted to change it to be either the day after or the day before 4th of July. No, yeah, this, oh, we did talk about this. This we was did. us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was us. This wasn't on the podcast, but yeah, we okay. talked about this. Yeah. 
I, I it needs to move to summertime because otherwise it's just voter suppression if you live in an area with shitty weather in november well see i, I was just thinking that you should make it a national holiday. So maybe then like making it 4th of July would make sense. You go vote and then you go light off a bunch of fireworks while you watch the election results. Yeah. What's more patriotic than that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why we don't make it July 4th. Yeah. I heard that, uh, if you have like statewide rain, that's bad for like, uh, uh, Democrats. Everything's bad for Democrats. <laughs> well, I was going to say opposing parties. Mm. Like if you, if you live in a red state normally and it rains, then it just suppresses voter turnout in general, mm-hmm. but that's bad for blue voters. Yeah. But I don't know. That's the thing, man. It should all be, it should all be either mail-in ballots or fucking do it in the summer because if it's rainy, and you don't care about the candidates enough, you're, and you have to take the day off work, and you have to wait in a line, why vote? But what if you're like a piece of shit like me, and it gets too hot, and then I don't want to go vote? <sighs> we'll do it in <laughs> September. I don't know. <laughs> What's the most temperate month across the country? That's what needs to be figured out. Scientists, I know you're out there. We should just make it so the gov- that we all have to vote in Hawaii and the government has to pay Fuck for yeah. a round-trip ticket <laughs> to vote in Hawaii. Yeah. Although, I mean, East Coasters are going to bitch about that. Well, what don't they bitch about? <laughs> God. Next, they're going to be complaining about the abortions at the U-Scan. <laughs> I'm not waiting in line for that. (laughs) So in the spirit of things becoming anew, reborn, I have chosen Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives, which is the first of the Friday the 13th franchise to actually introduce any sort of supernatural elements into the movie. Like Jesus. <laughs> this isn't my Easter movie, Ryan. <laughs> uh, which is, it, to me, it's sort of weird to think that it took six entries of the movie mm-hmm. before like actual supernatural elements took in. Yeah. Just kind of feels like that's a part two or three thing. Yeah. But part one, the mother was the killer, and you have Jason come out and like for a final scare at the end. Mm-hmm. Part two is Jason, but he's just wearing like a burlap sack. Okay. Over part, his head. Yeah. Okay. Not the hockey mask. Not the the hockey mask isn't introduced till part three, the three D one. Okay. And even then, it's only introduced like halfway into the movie. Hmm. The fourth one is when he's killed. That's the final chapter. Right. As and, I mentioned before, I, I remember that video cassette cover with the knife in the mask. Yes. And uh, the end of that movie is uh, little Corey Feldman playing Tommy Jarvis. Right. And he kind of like goes crazy on like a incapacitated Jason. Okay. And takes Jason's machete and just starts hacking him. Five, he, Jason's not actually in it. It takes place in, in an insane asylum. Okay. And Tommy Jarvis is like put away there, but there's like a copycat killer. And then six is the one that actually brings Jason back from the dead. And this is the first movie where it was like he was actually dead and came back somehow. Mm-hmm. 
which, I mean, if you follow 80 Slashers movie, kind of sounds sort of absurd that they waited this long, but it is, in fact, the first one. So I chose this movie not just because it's my favorite of the Friday the 13th entries, but also because I feel that it is a very quintessential, very textbook 80s slasher movie, hmm. which I don't think we've really truly covered. We did stage fright during our uh, Schlocktoberfest. Right. But even that was sort of a variation of the 80s slasher formula. Like, it's something that, that took it and did it differently. Sure. This is one that does it in a way that I feel like if you were to write a thesis on 80 slasher flicks, this is like the quintessential one that you could base things around. Okay. I'm uh, just going to come out of the gate saying I, I enjoyed it. Okay. It was fun. Yes. It's a, it's a funny horror movie. It is. There, there is, Strong elements of comedy in this. You, I, I think it's well established that I like my meta aspects to a movie, and I especially like meta humor, and this movie is rife with it. So there is a time and a place for serious horror. The Descent is a perfect example of like a serious, scary movie. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you're making part six of a horror franchise then maybe serious just isn't what this is calling for. And this is part six, 1986. Part one came out in 1980. We're basically doing a movie a year. Oh, yeah. So you can't really take yourself that seriously. So I watched the 11-hour documentary on the Friday the 13th franchise series. Oh, shit. Super fascinating. A breezy 11 hours. Like, I'm not even kidding. (laughs) They talked about how the first one was literally just them trying to rip off Halloween. They were like, oh, this movie, Halloween, was made on a nothing budget. Let's rip it off. The first one was made on (laughs) $500,000. Which is bigger than what Halloween had. Halloween had like $150,000. Oh, my God. That's nothing. For a movie? No, that's that's really nothing. And it made more than any of the other movies. I I mean, they even just like, what's another scary day? Like Halloween? Oh, we'll do Friday the 13th. God, you're right. I didn't even think about it. And he has a mask. Yeah. And he moves like Mike Myers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- there's really a scary movie for any holiday you can think of. Name a holiday. Um, Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> uh, Gus Van Zandt's Milk. Next. <laughs> American Sandwich Day. <laughs> I don't know if it's a national holiday, but uh, I'm going to say uh, Attack of the Cannibal Tomatoes. Holocaust <laughs> from the movie. Uh but the the uh, my point being that there's scary day there's there's a horror movie for like April Fool's Day for prom night sure uh there's a lot for christmas like different scary right. christmas movies uh there's a 4th of July one called I think- like Uncle Sam wants you dead but yeah uh basically most any like big holiday throughout the year, especially if it has any sort of scary connotations to it, there's a horror movie about it, and sure. it's most likely from the 80s. Sure. And Friday the 13th was the first of the Halloween cash grab movies to really make it big. Yeah. And by and large, I'm not a big fan of the franchise. 
I don't think it has many strong entries. I've only seen one in six at this point, and I felt one. Oh, really? That's it? I felt one was pretty boring. So Yeah, one's super boring. <laughs> like, I, I don't see the appeal to it. And actually, I kind of like the the remake, the Platinum Dunes, like, 2013 remake of it oh, better. okay. Still not a great movie, but, I don't know, the first one is, yeah, it's super boring. It's it does dull. a lot of nothing. Uh, but it's got Kevin Bacon. In right, it. getting stabbed through the neck with an arrow. But, yeah, part two is better than part one, and it actually has, like, Jason killing people in it. Part three is in 3D, and that's really the only thing it has going for it. Okay. Part four has Crispin Glover dancing, and Crispin Glover, and I don't mean this as a slur, I feel might be somewhere on the autism spectrum. Agreed. Because he is dancing in the movie, and there's no way you could put those dance moves to music. Like it, th- that type of music just does not exist. I don't want to get on a Crispin Glover tangent, but uh, if you've ever watched the special features on the Willard DVD, I did not watch the special features, but I have seen the movie where, a couple times. There's a part where he's uh, he directs a video to the song oh, ben. ben. Ben, the two of us need look no more, and it's bananas well have you seen his movies i haven't yet but i know that like he only lets his movies be shown when he's in attendance yeah and the cast is all people with down syndrome yeah like it's weird anyway that's not the movie we we watch (laughs) so fourth one has chris crispin glover and Corey feldman when Corey feldman was like 10 Fifth one's garbage and has nobody in it. <laughs> and then the sixth one, the one that we're watching today, uh, has a guy named Tom, who, as far as I know, has only been in Return of the Living Dead. He didn't get naked in this movie. He did not get naked in Not this even movie. shirtless in this movie. He didn't look as hot in this movie as he did in Return of the Living Dead, though. I beg to differ. Oh. I would still do it. <laughs> You'd hit that? I'd hit it. I oh and I would still definitely hit it, but you know who actually my favorite guy in this movie was? Uh, counter sitter slash ripped jeans. His name is Court. <laughs> oh, like where he probably would have gone to if he hadn't been killed. Fun fact: Court, the actor, uh-huh. is John Travolta's real life nephew. I'm not surprised in any way. I feel like he was a host on um, Wild and Crazy Kids or something. Okay. <laughs> I've seen him somewhere. Uh, he gives a little speech, like when we're introduced to his character about like the rocks in the woods and like tipping them over. That's his big moment. Listen, you obviously don't know anything about Indians, okay? Probably none of you do. Look, here's a story. These are called Indian markers, okay? Let's just say you have a chief, right? And he dumps his squaw or his wife or whatever, and he decides, hey, I'm going to pick up with another one. I'm going to take off with her. So he takes off, leaving his son with the mother, and all of a sudden, you know, a week or two later, the son wants to catch up with his dad, right? He wants to learn how to shoot a bow, stuff, you know, kill buffalo, whatever these guys do. So what happens is he comes along, sees the rocks, says, Dad, hey, he went that way, obviously. And so what happens is he comes up, knocks them all down before the mother catches up, because she doesn't, he doesn't want to see any of her anymore. So, um, you know, pretty much that's the basic story. Tells you where they go. Like, it, just, it sells me on his character so much. Yeah, I liked it, too. I actually thought he was cute, too. I'm not going to lie. So, uh... We do get a sex scene with him. Oh my god, that sex scene is amazing! Pretty bizarre. (laughs) 
There's no titties in this movie. There's no nudity at all, yeah. Yeah, but the sex scene in there has the, the classic dilemma of like a guy trying to like last as long as his lady. Mm-hmm. It's like closing his eyes, probably reciting the alphabet or the Thinking Pledge of, of Allegiance. Margaret Thatcher naked, naked in the rain. She's just bouncing in a more athletic than sexual way, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I love that sex scene, not because of its eroticism, but because of its hilarity. Sure. Uh, so we got back up real quick. We're we're all all over the place in this one. <sighs> let's yeah. Let's get to the intro. So director Tom McLaughlin is a big fan of Hammer horror movies, like the Peter Cushing. Christopher Lee horror movies of like the 60s and 70s. So he's a big fan of simple things like fog and worms and maggots and things like that. And so when this hit his desk, he really didn't want to make another entry per se. Mm -hmm. Because if you watch, especially four and five aren't the strongest entries in the franchise okay in fact i would say at this point five was the weakest okay and it it, there's little things like in five all the murder and mayhem is essentially out of frame okay like you will see a knife in the motion of stabbing someone but the actual act of stabbing is off screen Hmm. and in four everybody's stabbed like through something they're like behind a screen door and someone gets stabbed through the screen door or they're behind a movie screen and someone stabs through the movie screen or they're like behind a wall and someone like gets stabbed through the wall. Like, I don't know. It's always like they're being like the killer's never in the room with them or like directly next to them. It's there. There's like a partition or something separating them from the killer. They can't see them. Okay. And, this one is very consciously not that. Most of the kills are direct confrontation with Jason himself. There were a lot. I, I mean, I checked th- off seventeen deaths in this. <laughs> wow. Okay, give or take a couple. Okay, but there were a lot. A lot of people died in this in this movie. <laughs> but all the deaths are are from direct confrontation. There's not. There's not a lot of sneak deaths. You know, people are getting bent over backwards. People are getting their head twisted around backwards. People are getting their face, like, jammed through the wall of a trailer. Someone's getting stabbed in the head. Right. They're getting, They're getting their heads chopped, chopped off, off three at a time. Machete. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just a lot more of that going on. And those are the little things. Like, when you're watching a slasher movie, you know, you're not watching it for nuance or the subtle performances. You're watching it for the murder and the mayhem. Yeah, which is why it's great there's a high body count. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, give the audience what it wants. Mm-hmm. So Especially at number six. Yeah. <laughs> so th- If you're withholding people dying <laughs> at six, you're going to lose some, uh, some, some share there. So it's little things like that. It's, it's little attention to detail that, you know, they're giving the audience what they want. Like, they understand what the audience is coming to the movie for. Mm-hmm. And they're delivering it, and they're not delivering it in 
like the same patterned way that we've seen it before. They're actually trying to get creative with these things. Mm -hmm. I would agree in terms of the meta humor. I don't know if I agree in the terms of the deaths necessarily. Okay. Because they didn't feel very interesting to me. Maybe they were in 1986, but uh, watching it now, I mean... It just seemed like a lot of like stab in the head, stab in this place, stab in this place. <laughs> well, okay, we'll we'll take Court and his lady friend. I can't remember her name. Court does get stabbed in the head. Sure, but it's also while he's driving. Okay, yeah, and then R- that causes the, the the big crash, right? Which was a great crash. It's one of those crashes that makes me re-realize how nice it is when you do something for real and don't CG it. Yeah. Because there's like little parts of the trailer that like came flying off and that went random directions. That they could not have planned on. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And like they they really only had one take for that. Like they had to make yeah. it work. You know that there were like seven cameras set up. And, yeah. And uh, and it looks great. And I don't know if I've ever seen an RV doing that. Okay. there I probably have, but it felt original. It so, felt new. So like the stabbing to the head might not be original, but the aftermath was different. Yeah. The crashing of the RV, I give an A plus for originality. But right before that, we also have like the girlfriend who gets her face like smashed into the wall. <laughs> and like the the way that they cut it isn't like that you see her head being smashed in, you see the imprint on the outside of the trailer. Oof. <laughs> Owie. Uh but, you know, it's it's little things like that. Like, they just take the time to do different things. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, real quick before I forget, the sound engineer, because mm. uh, when the face gets smashed in, you hear, like, the crinkling yeah. of, like, the, the side of the trailer. Uh, the sound engineer went on to do a little film called The Matrix. Shut the fuck up. Yes. And he won an Academy Award for The Matrix. Wow. Yeah. So. Okay, well, just real fast. While we're on the topic of the sound engineer for this movie, there's a scene when, I'm not sure what her name was, but um, she's like the younger sister of one of the first people who gets killed in the VW bug. Okay. When there's a moment when she's like looking out and she sees like a creepy forest and we hear like an, uh, a hawk go, mm-hmm. and then... It's cut back, cuts back to her, cuts back to her view. We hear the the caw again. That I hear, we hear it three times, and it's uh, it's an eagle scream or a hawk scream that I've heard so many times that I'm sick of it now. It's the new Wilhelm scream, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> okay. and um, it's from the Hollywood Edge uh, <laughs> premiere edition. It's uh, number two, track eight. <laughs> it's time to retire it, guys. Like. It's late. In this case, it was funny because they did it three times in a row. So it's, it, it is funny because it's like aware of it. But uh, let's rein that in, guys. I almost mentioned this when we did our Schlocktoberfest because it happens in Bad Moon twice. <laughs> okay. And then it also happens in The Descent. And I was like, if we fucking get this one more time, I'm calling it out. Didn't happen again in the movies we picked since then. But it's like, I'm going to call it out from here on out. Okay. <laughs> it's everywhere. You're, you, I'm going to play it. I'm going to put it on the podcast. You've heard it. It's... I'm done with it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in the beginning when there's like the two people in the bug who are like driving through the woods and yeah, yeah, yeah. they run into Jason and they're like, Darren, we better turn around. 
Why? Because I've seen enough horror movies to know any weirdo wearing a mask is never friendly. The the dude in the car like pulls out like a little shotgun. Yeah. And like goes out. See, you're already laughing. Like you know. That, I know like, what's going on. Um, I guess when they did test screens of this, <laughs> the first one that they did, <laughs> when you out, that's not gonna do any good, fool. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, in that same scene when she dies and there's just like that long shot of her American Express card floating mm, in the river, mm-hmm. that was left intentionally so that people in the audience could shout out, don't, don't leave, leave home, home without, without it. it. <laughs> Which is funny because it's when like crowd participation was encouraged. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't think of another movie that did that. Like, No, I can't think of one either. That's, that's like pre... Uh, MST3K too. Like. The the chick that dies in that scene is uh-huh. the director's wife. Oh. Uh yeah, and I guess uh Jason stabs through like the car windshield at her. Uh-huh. And I guess no one told him the the guy playing Jason not to actually stab her. Uh and they only had one take cuz they like had the car and they were going to actually break the windshield for it. Uh-huh. And so like they got it all set up, but like no one told him like don't actually stab her. And he was like an army man, like oh no. So he just like locked in on her and like went for it. He missed, but like everyone just sort of naturally assumed that he would stab the driver's seat. And in that scene, she dives to the passenger seat, and he he follows her and like almost hits her. Oh no. Yeah. Uh. And but I mean, it was just it was one take. Like that's all they could do for that scene they only had one windshield yeah they only had one windshield uh and i mean she she didn't get stabbed she was fine but uh i guess it came like dangerously close <gasps> to her and it freaked her out and like the guy who was playing jason like felt bad about it but he was like oh i didn't know that i wasn't like supposed to not aim for her <laughs> that's so scary yeah and i guess the water that she had to climb through was super super cold like they were filming that like literally at four in the morning. They were like racing against sunrise. Oh, uh, so it was like thirty-one degrees out, and she had to like crawl through a dirty puddle twenty times. Oh, till they got the take right. But it's a um, Bella Lugosi and uh... whatever Ed Wood movie he was in. Yeah, I've already forgotten the movie, and I've seen that one too. So this is the first Jason movie to have kids in it. Like they all take place at like a summer camp except for part five. Real fast. This is a summer camp run and managed by teenagers, right? I didn't see a single adult there. Well, that's how it always is. Is like these teenagers are coming to these summer camps and parts one through three is like, oh, we have to get this ready for when the kids arrive. Mm-hmm. Four takes place like out in the woods, like near someone's home. I don't, I don't remember. And then five takes place in an insane asylum. But parts one through three is like, yeah, teenagers are always like coming to like get the place ready, and instead of getting the place ready, they just have sex. But there's n- zero adults, right? <laughs> this is the coolest camp ever. <laughs> That's why they just drink beer and have sex. I mean, sending your kids to this camp. We'll make you the coolest parents. (laughs) Well, I mean, they have to be pretty cool kids already because one of them was reading Sartre's No Exit. I loved that. (laughs) That's hilarious. There's this just couple shots of like kids sleeping and they have like 
letters written to their parents and like coloring books, like all kid stuff. And then like one's sleeping with no exit, like still open on her chest. Oh, it's all dog-eared too. Like she's read it several times. Oh, that's so funny. There's a lesbian in that too. Like, is there? Oh, I've yeah. never read it. Oh yeah. It's I only like know the hell is other people part of that. Three characters, one of which is a lesbian. Oh, okay. It's okay. great. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. So yeah, this is the the first, and as far as I really know, possibly the only Friday the Thirteenth movie to actually have children at the summer camp. It made it feel like there were real stakes at certain points. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is, Suddenly. there is a scene, and I, I like the scene when Jason enters. Like, the door blows open. Yeah. He walks in, and, like, all these dead leaves get blown in with him. Yeah. And he walks over, and, like, the specifically, like, the little girl that, like, we're, we've been kind of focusing on, like, leans in towards her. And it really does. It makes it feel like, oh, man, is this movie going to go into that place? Yeah, it's it's a line I'm glad it doesn't cross. Spoiler alert. But for a second there, I was like, holy shit, are they going to kill a kid? And I, I that's also one of those little choices, because this was written and directed by Tom McLaughlin, that uh, really kind of sells it. Like, I think he, he understands, like, what gets, like, the blood going in horror movies. Yeah. But he also knows, like, what lines not to cross. Like... This is this is a high stake, but it, like if you kill a kid in a movie, like there's no going back. Like that, you know. Yeah, pe- people won't stand for that. Yeah, like the movie's no longer fun or funny at that point. Yeah. So, but walking up to that line, yeah, is fun. That yeah, wa- getting to that point is a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I was I was nervous. I was like, <laughs> oh Matt, are we gonna have to talk about child murder today? <laughs> please say no. Please say no. So, and, you know, and then there's, you know, the struggle in walking it back from that line. Like, mm-hmm. how can you believably escape from this situation, too? Yeah. Which I think I think it does fine. Sure. Like, it's, sure, a, sure. it's a total, like, coincidence that they get called away, but I'm also works. okay with the idea that Jason wouldn't kill children because he was one. Sure. I mean, I'm fine with believing that. Like, he may just look at her. Wouldn't it be funny if he just, like picks up a book and starts reading Goodnight Moon to her or something like that. <laughs> Jason doesn't talk. Brushes her hair back. Well, pretends to read. Anyway. So it's my theory that the director was trying to turn this into a Frankenstein movie. So we get the lightning bolt that resurrects Jason. Just like Jesus. <laughs> so I, I guess I should explain like the, the opening premise of the movie. Tommy Jarvis has been the, the star of the movie for uh, parts four and five and now six. Okay. So he has escaped from the asylum and he is hell bent on making sure that Jason is dead. Okay. So he's going to go to the gravesite, dig up the corpse, cover it with gasoline and burn it. I mean, we've all been there. So they get halfway there. They, they, un, they, they exhume the corpse and they're about to cover it with gasoline when when Tommy has sort of like a, a mental fit and takes his big metal rod and like stabs Jason with yeah, it. Yeah, he rips apart part of the metal gate. Yeah. And metal fence and stabs Jason multiple times. So the metal rod is inside Jason's chestal cavities. <laughs> his chesticles. Yes. Stabs him right in the chesticles. When wouldn't you know it, Rainstorm comes along, lightning strikes, 
Jason wakes up. This resurrects Jason, a la Frankenstein. It's been a dark and stormy night since the beginning. So Jason wakes up, gets out of the grave, and Tommy tries covering him with gasoline, and he still wants to light him on fire. But wouldn't you know, shortly after lightning strikes, rain comes. Uh, Don't you hate that? (laughs) So he can't strike the match. Thus, Jason is alive and well again, and thus starts our movie. And also supernatural now at this point. Yeah. He punches through. Through. Which led me to question, because he punches through that dude, and then later there's a a part where he's just ripping people's arms off. Yeah. Is there just like some kind of mineral in the water that makes people's bones... (laughs) Brittle? Yeah, back there because or is he just like super strong? Because he's just ripping people at, apart. At least in right. this one, I believe he has abnormal strength. Okay. I can't speak for the previous entries. Gain from the lightning. We'll say. Yeah, undead strength. Sure. I'll buy that. Whatever. I don't, I don't make the rules. Anyway, so so that's the that's how Jason comes back and he needs to go back to camp. Uh, Crystal not, Lake. Yeah, but they call it something else. Forest Green. I yeah, think. they they tried changing the name of it because you know everyone knew Camp Crystal Lake as Camp Blood. Yeah. Uh, so he goes back, and yeah, this is this is the first one where like the camp is up and running as like a proper summer camp. Mm-hmm. So the Frankenstein theme. Not only is he resurrected in a style similar to Frankenstein, but. There are numerous Alice Cooper songs in this. Oh, yeah. One of them being Young Frankenstein. And he also has a song called I'm Your Frankenstein. (laughs) He has two Frankenstein songs. Just saying. (laughs) Then Tommy's saying that he's at a general store called Carlos. I noticed that as well. So, yeah, my theory is that Tom McLaughlin was trying to make Jason a Frankenstein-type creature, which sort of makes sense. Like, he is kind of that already. Also, he has to burn the body. Guess how they kill Frankenstein. They do burn him, yeah. That's true. true. Anyway, go ahead. It also plays into my uh, my theory that Freddy Krueger is the Dracula for our generation. We'll get to that another day. There's also an homage to James Bond. Oh, let's at not, the very beginning. Let's not forget that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jason walks out turns to camera and then slices in it in a circle and... like if there's any question as to like what kind of movie we're in for i mean at that point i didn't know that there was going to be all these jokes coming into it and as soon as that happened i was like i'm ready this sound <laughs> this looks like fun now like i loved it i i, I really liked that little uh that little wink yeah i and mean then, there, then there's so many after that yeah there's a lot like he really has a lot of fun with it or the, the writer-director does. Just, I mean, like I was saying, this is part six of a slasher franchise. It's so crazy to me to think that they were producing one a year. Like, I read an article that said that the producer, once they would release one after the opening weekend, he'd get a call from Paramount saying, like, get started on the next one. Oh, sure. And that just kept happening. And can you imagine just six years of that? Like every time you release a movie, the next they call you on Monday and they're like, "Hey, get started on the next one." Like, I mean, it's great, and and these things cost nothing to make. So I mean, I'm sure, studios were like, "Turn them out. Let's keep it going." I guess there's two types of films that are like almost guaranteed to make their money back, like in a in a worldwide distribution sense. Mm. One is horror, the other is family. 
Yuck. Like, uh, was it Little Miss Sunshine did great worldwide? Oh, it was fine. <laughs> but yeah, the other one is horror. Like, horror sort of transcends language. But uh, Tom McLaughlin, the director, writer-director, said that he had always had a fascination with horror because when he was like four or five, he, he was going to the bathroom. Like, he was taking a shit. And he'd forgotten to lock the door. And his dad walked in wearing a horror mat, like a monster mask. Come on. And it just, it scared the shit out of him. (laughs) Uh, But he said, like, when he was, like, four years old, he was like, oh, my God, that was the scariest thing ever. But, like, after the dust had settled and, like, a little time went by, like, he kind of realized it was fun Mm -hmm. at the same time. And that that idea of, like, being scared can be fun too like stuck with him after that like mm-hmm. he sort of had a fascination with horror films especially ones that were fun after that and so when he went into making this like he really wanted to make it a fun horror movie mm-hmm. which i personally believe that he succeeded in like this is a lot of fun like there are a lot of jokes but i don't know it doesn't detract from the horror like it does it's not like scary movie or something. Right. <laughs> no, it doesn't go that far. We talked about this from a little bit ago where it's like the children aspect really ups the stakes in a way that makes it feel scary. Yeah. Also with horror movies, especially 80s slasher films, I think they adhere very strongly to sort of classic rules of drama. That I'm paraphrasing Sam Raimi here, but it's like the innocent will suffer, the bad will be punished, and blood will be spilled. Okay. Which I think plays to like the larger rules of drama in general, where, you know, good people can die in horror movies, but their deaths have to be sort of swift or glorious. Mm-hmm. And bad people, jerks, cads, you know, shitbags, when they die, it has to be sort of rewarding. Sure. And horror movies really stick to that formula. Like, you, I, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, sort of the values of the time, but, like, the virgin girl is the one who often saves the day at the end. Mm-hmm. While I don't agree with the premise that the, the virgin is the, the pure one, if we're running off, those are the values of... Well, of, you wouldn't. You're a slut. <laughs> are you saying that I couldn't be the hero in a horror movie? No, I'm just saying you don't agree with the premise that the virgin is the one who should. Because I feel the day. like if we were in a horror movie together, you'd die first. Oh my god, I would. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'd be the one who answers the door when the serial killer rings the doorbell, and be like, "Yes," and then arrow through my eye or something. I don't know how this killer kills people. But in general, yeah, it's like the the. The girl whose virtue is pure is the one who saves the day. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the people who have sex, they die, you know, in one way or another. And then the shitbags are the ones that, like, meet grisly demises. And, you know, in in basic rules of drama, that's how we feel people need to come to an end. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can have people indulging in vice or in sin, but they'll have to die. And then the real shitbags, like, their death has to be cathartic. Like, we got to feel it. Mm -hmm. 
and 80s slasher films really adhere to those dramatic rules. Like, you know, people complain that they're formulaic or that they're derivative or that they're cheap and slipshod, but in in those terms, they actually adhere to just very, very basic dramatic principles that, you know, it if you're an audience, and especially if you're just looking for something like f- fast food of cinema, like that's what you want out of it. You know, you want the basic tenets of drama, but you don't want to have to work for it. And a lot of these slasher films kind of give you that. Sure. You know, it's Fr- very clear cut who's the bad guy and who's the good guy. Friday the 13th, part six is the. Uh, Uber Eats McDonald's <laughs> of horror movies. And there, there's just a time and a place for movies like that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, in general, a big fan of 80s slasher movies. I love horror movies from this time period, like between 1978 to like 1991, was just like, I think, a golden age of like junk food horror cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this movie in particular, I think, really like just hit that mark of what I like most out of that time period of movies. So I just I you know, I wanted to get something in the podcast that really epitomized like what I like out of that period of movies. <laughs> Fart head. Yes! <laughs> Dig him up. Does he think I'm a fart head? <laughs> yeah! You've got me, movie. You, you've won me over. Yeah. You, so, could, you could fumble the ending and I wouldn't care at this point. You had me at fart head. Let's move into next week's stuff. What do you got for me? I have decided to jump on your franchise train. Mm. Toot toot. And I'm going to pick a movie from a franchise, my favorite movie from a franchise. I've decided to pick one that I know you haven't seen. It's a little movie called The Muppets Take Manhattan. Oh my God. (laughs) I've never seen a single Muppet movie in its entirety with the exception of Muppet Christmas Carol. I've uh, I've referenced this one hmm, maybe no, no less than three times on this podcast. And uh, I think it's time to revisit it and see how it holds up. Okay. Do I need to know anything about the previous Muppet installments? Not at all. No. Okay. As long as you know enough about the Muppet characters, you're fine. Well, I know that uh, Miss Piggy is like a marital rapist. Great. Yeah, you're <laughs> more than caught up. Prerequisites ticked off on the boxes. Uh, yeah, that should be fun, right? I don't know. It could not be. It's very old and um, something that I haven't seen in ages. So we'll just see. Mm, like you naked. Ah, but I'm ching. My sensibilities have been offended, sir. Okay, next week, Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, should we plug our junk? Let's plug our junk. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Like, rate, review, subscribe, please. Yeah, you can also 
Follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. That's where you're going to find out what's coming up next. Uh, visit our new website, xratedmovies.com. That is a great place to also find our contact info. Our Twitter account is at xratedmovies, and our Gmail is x.rated.movies at gmail.com. You can find that under the contact page. That's it. That's it. We'll be back next week with Muppets Take Manhattan. All right. Have a, a fond week, listener. And we hope you have a blissful beginning of your new year. Mm-hmm.